Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, many, if not all of you, know our pastor, uh, Don Brock, our senior pastor. Um, he's, a very, he's a very wise man, uh, somewhat prophetic at times as well, as he, he sees into future with wisdom and knows uh, really, really good at giving advice and all those things. So a couple of months ago, I should have listened to him when he said to all of our pastors in our meeting, hey, every one of you guys, you might want to have a, a sermon in your back pocket ready to go in case I'm sick or anything's going on and I, something happens and I can't be there on Sunday morning. So he said that a few months ago. And of course, uh, all of us said, okay, we'll do that. And I don't know if any of us did. Um, I didn't. And so uh, this week, uh, Don uh, had the flu and came down with the flu. And so that's why he's out. <clears throat> but then even Jeremy called me on Tuesday and said, hey, as you know, Don's you know, not feeling very well. So be ready on Sunday. We may need you to preach. And again, I said, okay, sounds good. And then just kind of forgot about it. And then <laughs> yesterday morning, um, uh, I'm at my son's baseball game helping coach, and my phone starts ringing in my pocket, and I look down, and it's Jeremy calling me again, and I'm like, uh-oh, it's happening. And so sure enough, Pastor Don wasn't able to be here this morning. I to be praying for him as he recovers uh, from the flu, um, but they all gave me fair warning. So uh, yesterday morning, I was, I was thinking through what I wanted to preach on. I kind of had an idea, to be honest, but I was thinking a little bit more about it yesterday morning, thinking about Christmas season, and uh, we went to the uh, lights at Saluda Shoals a couple of nights ago. Um, we're going to be going to the zoo lights soon. Christmas tree is up. We're starting to get some presents under the tree, and so as Christmas season begins, as Bart and uh, Jeremy were alluding to earlier, it's, it's the perfect time at Gateway, really at churches across uh, the world, to, to take a step back in the busyness, in the craziness, and all of the events and parties and commercial, commercialization of Christmas to remember what Christmas truly is all about and to allow Scripture to remind us what it's all about. And so uh, yesterday I was thinking through and I knew right away that, that I have a favorite Christmas passage. You may have one as well. And it's not a Christmas passage that, that is commonly used or in the traditional Christmas settings like the, you know, the nativity stories or anything like that, or even John 1 where it talks about the word becoming flesh. Um, this one is, is a little bit different. It's in Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your apps, however you access God's word, we're going to be in Philippians 2 this morning. And Philippians 2 is, is, a, um, is Paul writing a letter to the Philippians, and he's sharing about having hope in Christ and finding your joy in Jesus and, and being um, citizens, as it, as it were, of, of heaven, of, of allowing what Jesus has done in their lives to become their daily life. <clears throat> and while he's, while he's teaching this and, and writing this letter, he goes into what's almost what many scholars and theologians think was either like he either like wrote this hymn-like group of stanzas or it was a common known um, text that people were sharing back in the first century, just like 20 years after Jesus died, that had the main truths of, of Jesus in it. 
And in Philippians 2, we find this. Many, many scholars call it the Christ hymn because it's written like a hymn, almost like, like, a, like, a, um, like a song, and it's all about Jesus. And I love it because it is probably the one passage, if you've been in church for a long time and you've read your Bible for years and years, you're probably very familiar with this passage. Um, but if you're not, if you're fairly new to the church, or maybe even this is your first time at church this morning, or you're still just trying to figure out you know, who Jesus is and what this, this Christianity and this faith is all about, it's a great set of verses to answer the question, who is Jesus really? And, and what did he do? Like, who is Jesus and what did he do? If you had a friend who came up to you and said, can you tell me who Jesus is and what he did? I've heard about him, but I'm kind of, things are a little bit fuzzy in my mind. Can you tell me more and make it clear? Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11 would be a great place to go to walk them through who Jesus is, what he did, and why it's so important. And most, most of the time, it's not considered a Christmas passage, but it is in the sense that it highlights, as Jeremy said earlier, that when Jesus came as a baby on Christmas morning, and we celebrate that at Christmas, that it wasn't just a baby being born like any other baby, right? If, if Jesus was just another person, just another baby being born, we wouldn't be gathering here every Sunday morning. We wouldn't be singing Christmas carols. We wouldn't be worshiping him day in and day out. Jesus's name would be long forgotten if there wasn't so much more to this Christmas story. And Philippians 2 shares what that much more really is. Other theologians and scholars, instead of calling it the Christ M, they use this other uh, kind of theme for it, and they call it the great parabola. Now, I was reading about this yesterday, never heard of that before, and when I saw parabola, I knew it was a math term, and I knew I had forgotten it a long time ago because I'm a lot older, and that was 20, 30 years ago, right? So in case you have forgotten what a parabola is, it's probably something you learned in high school, middle school, and you've probably never used it again since then. But a parabola is like a number line, and as you look at it, it goes up into infinity on one side, and it goes up into infinity on the other side, and it comes down to a point at the bottom that's, that has a name. I can't remember. Does anybody remember the name of that? The bottom spot. So it's like a U shape, and it comes all the way down. Does anybody remember? Vertex. Is it vertex? Is that right? We've got a math teacher over here. No, so the vertex, we'll say, is the bottom, um, but it comes down to a bottom point, and then it goes right back up. So it's high down to low, back to high. And, and theologians call this passage the great parabola because what Paul does, he traces Jesus's life and he explains Jesus's life in that exact way. He explains how Jesus was God for all eternity. Before any human existed on this planet, before earth was even created, Jesus was the Son of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity existed for all eternity in heaven in this glory. That's the high point of one side of the parabola. 
And then he goes on to say, because of the plight of humanity, because of our sin, because of what has happened here on this earth and that we have fallen away from God, we've turned our back on God, we're in need of someone to take care of this sin problem in our life. Something had to be done, and what was done was God sent his son to this earth. And so you can imagine glory, perfection, sinlessness, in heaven, divine, angels worshiping. That was the experience of God the Son before coming down on this earth. And yet he still comes. And he comes as a baby, as a child. And he's born into our world into this sin-stained, directionless world full of despair, with no hope, with inhumanity that had turned their back on God. And so you can see how that's a pretty big change from the glory of God in heaven down to becoming a human on this earth. And he doesn't stop there. He even goes to allow himself to be persecuted, to be hated, to be disappointed in others' actions. He experienced everything that we experienced and even beyond to death on a cross, which is that low point. And then at the end of these verses, as we'll see, God exalts him back as he was before, up in the heavens where every person, everything bows to him. And so this great parabola for me is a Christmas story. It's a Christmas passage passage because, because one of the highlights in this is Jesus was born. And none of this would have happened if Jesus would not have come to this earth as a baby. And so Jesus came, but he came with a purpose in mind to die for our sins so that he would once again be raised again, elevated back as God and king over all. And so this passage reminds me of a bunch of different things about Christmas. And so I hope as we read through this, we can use this time. And as you think about Christmas this season, it will remind you of these same things. So what I want to do first is I'm going to start in verse 6. And I'm going to read verse 6 through 11. And we're going to jump back to verses 1 through 5 in a few minutes. But let's start right here in verse 6. This is Paul again writing to the Philippians, talking specifically about Jesus. And we're going to look at some of the things that Christmas can remind us about in this season. This is what Paul says. Though he, Jesus, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave us, gave up his divine privileges. The Greek means he emptied himself. So all that he had that was divine, he emptied that out. Uh, My uh, daughter is cleaning out, I, I, I'm paying her to clean my car out. I don't know if you, any of y'all have ever seen my car. It's nasty, horrible. I just, it's just gross. And just tons of stuff. My kids throw stuff in it. I throw stuff in it. And it just gets piled full of stuff. And so the other day I said, Lucy, I'll pay you to clean my car out. And she jumped on that. Oh, how much? What? And so she's been cleaning my car out the past few days. And so uh, this empty, emptying himself, is, it gives me a vivid picture of that as I watch Lucy just chunking stuff out of my car. And so it's amazing the difference. It was full. Now it's empty. That's what Jesus did, but in in the opposite way, in that he emptied out the good stuff. He emptied out his divinity and some of his godlike attributes so that he could come down to this earth. 
So he gave up his divine privileges. He emptied himself. He took the humble position of a slave or a servant and was born as a human being. Now, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So here's the first thing that that Christmas reminds me about and can remind us of. It's that Christmas reminds us of who Jesus is. And so the first thing that as Paul is, is, is writing out this Christmas hymn and sending it to the Philippians, the first thing he's wanting them to realize is who Jesus truly is. And what I see here, let's start off from the beginning. It says, though he was God. That's as straightforward as you can get. There's no nuances to that. There's no, well, let me explain. Maybe, as some other religions believe, maybe he was somewhat God, but he wasn't God until later, or he became God as he, as he did this or that. No, Jesus was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existed for all of eternity, and he was God from the beginning. And not only that, Jesus is man. So Jesus is God, Jesus is man. He gave up his divine privileges. He emptied himself of that God qualities, and he took the humble position of a slave, of a servant, and was born as a human being. This is one of the, the huge like paradoxes or like mind-blowing things about our faith and about Christianity and about God. How could he be God and man at the same time? It's not something that we can fully comprehend, but we know that it had to happen that way. Because in order for Jesus to pay the price for the sins of humanity, he had to be human. He had to come and experience the temptations that we experience. He had to have flesh as we had flesh and a heart and soul as we had heart and soul. He had to be one of us so that he could pay the price for all of us. But in order for Jesus to be able to do that, he had to live a life that was sinless. He had to be born as a human, live his life as a human, and all along the way, live perfectly in obedience to God. And I don't know about you guys, but I am not able to do that. <laughs> you guys, we're not able to do that, right? If we think about Jesus's life and if we experience the, the, the heartbreak and, and disappointment that he experienced, the temptations that he experienced when, when Satan pulled him into the desert and said, I will give you all of this, this is all you have to do. If we experience the, the, the suffering that he experienced, all of that knowing that at any point he could have done anything to, to, to go a different route, to make things easier for him. He could have easily just you know, hijacked the plan and said, God, Father, no, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm gonna do my own thing. He could have sinned at any moment, just like we would have done. The only way he could have lived a sinless life was for him to be something more than just one of us. And that's why he was divine as well. That's why he had to be God, to live that sinless life. But he had to be man so that it would count for us and he would pay the price for us. And so Jesus was the God man. Let's continue to read nine through 11. This is the last thing Christmas reminds me about of who Jesus is. And it's this, that Jesus is our only hope. 
As I said before, when he says, though he was God, there's no questioning that. There's no, there's no, well, maybe he means this or that. No, Jesus was God. Here's another thing that there's no questioning. Where Jesus stands in history before humanity and who Jesus is for all of the world and the fact that Jesus is the only hope for all of mankind. Because listen to what he says here in verse nine. Therefore, talking about Jesus again, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and on under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What he is saying is there is no other name in heaven above or on earth below that can do what Jesus did or has done what Jesus has done or who sits at the right hand of the Father as the God-man who is worthy of our worship and our praise. There is no one else. He is the only one. So the next thing that Christmas reminds me of is, is what Jesus did. What Jesus did. And let's go back to verse eight. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So he became like us. Another reason I think he had to come, become like us was so that he would know us. So that God would know us. We, we learn in scripture that Jesus now sits at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us, praying for us, advocating for us. And he is so amazing and miraculous that he does that. And it should be so comforting that he does that because he was one of us. And so when he speaks to God the Father about us, advocating and interceding for us, it's not as someone who has never experienced what we've experienced. He's not saying, yeah, God, you know, Jeff is suffering with this right now. I don't really, I've never felt that. I don't really know what it's about, but but you can probably help it. It's not, it's, not this like, it's not like this upper management type position where they don't know what the lower peons of work and do. And he, the, the, you know how that is. That's just horrible when the upper management doesn't know what the lower management does or the people under that. And they're kind of out of touch with reality. It's not like that at all. It's as if Jesus was upper, upper management, came, lived for 30 years in the lower areas and experienced all of it and knew it completely so that he could go back up and say, this is what's really going on. This is the suffering that they feel. This is the disappointment. This is, this is the temptations they have. These are the things going on in lives of people all across the world. And he can say, I know exactly how they feel. I know exactly what they are experiencing. I know. And so what Jesus did when he came that Christmas morning is he came and identified with us so that he could empathize with us, so that when we pray to Jesus, it's not falling on deaf ears. It's not fall, falling on ears of someone who doesn't understand. God understands, God has been there, God has experienced it, and so God wants to hear your prayers. But he did more than that, right? He, he, he also, when he came here, he experienced the, the different opportunities for ministry in his life. You read through the, the, the gospels and you see over and over and over again as how Jesus went from one place to another and cared for people deeply. 
over and over again. And so he shows us what we should do as well, that we should live a life of ministry. But most importantly, what he did was he died for us on the cross. He willingly gave up his life for us that we may have a relationship with God, the creator. So Christmas reminds us that's what Jesus did. And the next thing is it reminds us how Jesus did it. Christmas in this passage reminds us how Jesus did it. Let's go back in and let's look at verse seven. There's three things I pull out from here that that are just descriptive of this is who Jesus was. If you were describing Jesus every day of his life, this is how he was. Let's look at it. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave or a servant. So this is the first one, humility. Jesus's life, day in and day out, was characterized by humility. Could you imagine being the son of God, being divine, having all the power that you could ever need or want or imagine in you and walking daily on this earth and experiencing the people that you experience day in and day out? How many times would you be tempted to use a little bit of that power? You know, like, ooh, I didn't like what that person said. Let me go flatten their tire from, from afar so they'll never know. You know, like we, how many times would we be, we'd be enacting revenge on people or we'd be doing things, abusing that power so that we could get what we want. But Jesus in complete and perfect humility used his divine qualities, his God-likeness, not to get what he wanted. He used it to follow God's path for him. And in humility, he didn't use it to puff himself up, but he used it to serve everyone else. The next thing it says, he humbled himself, this is verse eight, he humbled himself in obedience to God. So the next thing that we know how Jesus did it, he did it in obedience to God. Leaving an example for us that every day, every step of the way, Every morning, every afternoon, every night, our desire, our hope, our MO, the way we live our lives should always be in obedience to God. There's no room for us doing what we want to do when God has given us specific orders in scripture that this is how you should be living. When when God told Jesus, this is what I want you to do, Jesus did it. We should be the same. And the last thing I see here, same verse, verse number eight, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. When I think about the death of Jesus on the cross, two words always come to mind. Sacrificial love. That's what I think of. I think of all that Jesus was, even in his humanity, living on this earth, and even in all that he was, he chose willingly to be subjected to persecution and subjected to hatred and subjected to to unfair um, decisions against him and lies being told about him and beatings and ultimately subjected himself to death in one of the most horrendous ways you can think of death on a cross. And the words that come to my mind are sacrificial love. And it makes me, challenges me 
It challenges myself when I think about and know that God calls us to live as Jesus lived. Jesus lived with sacrificial love. I have to ask the question, day in and day out, is sacrificial love what characterizes my life? Or is it more comfortable care for other people? Is it more, I help people when I can, but if it's not convenient for me, eh, I'm probably not gonna do it. Jesus' love was so radical, it challenges every single one of us to be more uncomfortable in our care, to be more inconvenienced in the things that we do, to be more sacrificial in our lives, because that's how Jesus did it day in and day out. He sacrificed, he sacrificed, and he sacrificed. And the last thing that Christmas reminds us is Christmas reminds us how we should live kind of began speaking on that a moment ago, but how we should live. This is where I wanna go back to verses one through five because Paul does give this, this explanation and this glorious look at this parabola of Jesus who's in heaven on high, comes down to earth, lives sacrificially in all of humility and obedience to God, and then is exalted back up in the heavens as he is the name above every other name. But before he does that, he's actually teaching the Philippians how to live their lives. And as he's, as he's teaching it, you'll see, he's telling them that you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. And then it's always like, he's just like, hey, just live the way Jesus lived. Have the same attitude as Jesus had. But let's go ahead. Verse four, is there any, I mean, sorry, verse one, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? So what Paul is asking there. And he's saying, are you a Christian? Would you say that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Have you experienced the grace and the love and the forgiveness and the mercy of God? And he's saying, if you would say yes to that, then there's something you must do. And there's certain things that must characterize you this Christmas season, but throughout the year. And this is what he says, verse two, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. So the first thing that Christmas reminds us of and how we should live is we should be united. We should be united. It's very clear here. And if you think about Jesus's life, when Jesus was praying, like his last prayer before being taken to the cross, he prayed for unity his people would be unified. And it's no different here. Paul says, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Gateway, what that means for us is we have one mind and purpose in this world. Our purpose is the glory of Jesus. Our mind is whatever follows God's will whatever brings him glory. We have many different things we do in our lives. As we, as we leave this morning and we go throughout our week, we're gonna be in all different areas of society. We're gonna be doing different jobs. There's gonna be a lot of different places we're gonna be. Our kids are all in different schools. We'll be reaching out throughout this area. But we do that with one mind and we do that with one purpose so that the name of Jesus is, is, is reached throughout our community, through us, by what God is doing in our lives. 
So even though we go our separate ways, we do it as one, as one family, one body for Jesus. He continues on. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. So the next one we've talked about a little bit is is humble, is humility. This is how we should live in humility, being humble. Because one of the greatest temptations out there is pride. Not just for non-believers, not just for Hollywood stars who are the ones who get the bad rap. Pride is an issue for every single one of us, isn't it? Pride is what makes us choose our own comfort over helping another person. Pride is is what helps us increase our bank account instead of giving our money to someone in need. You know, pride is what what causes us to belittle others so that that we can get ahead in life. Pride is, is what makes us think our time is more important than other people's time when we know they need our time. Pride is what caused Adam and Eve in the garden to fall in sin from God. And pride is what pulls us away from him each and every day. When we want to be our own gods, when we want to live for ourselves instead of for this one mind and one purpose that Christmas reminds us is all about Jesus. And so the last thing, unified and humble, and he says this lastly, don't look out only for your own interests, verse four, but take an interest in others too. Going back to what I said about Jesus, sacrifice is another way that we should live and how we should live daily. Sacrificial love, instead of asking what's convenient, instead of asking what's easiest for us, we ask the question, well, what does sacrificial love require of me? If I truly take to heart in scripture when it says that we should become more and more like Christ, when I truly believe that we should have in verse five, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. If I truly believe that, that my goal in life is to have the same attitude of Jesus. And I know for a fact that Jesus in every moment, his attitude was sacrificial love, sacrificial love. How can I love others? Even if it means sacrifice, it doesn't matter. If I believe I should do that and I know he's doing that, then I have to do it as well as a believer of Jesus. I have to be willing to sacrifice. I have to be willing to love others even if it inconveniences me. And that's what I think of this Christmas season. I think of, in in this passage, I think of this great parabola. I think of, of the truth that Jesus was God in heaven, in perfection, being worshiped by the angels, that he had all that he needed, could ever have or imagine. And he chose to come down sacrificially, humbly, in obedience to God, to this earth as a baby, as a man, so that he could rescue us, so that he could save us from our sins. See, Jesus became like us so that we can become like Jesus. Now that Jesus has become like us, he is calling each and every one of us to become like him. In humility, in unified mind, unified passion, 
unified purpose as we seek to glorify him in our lives and share the good news of him throughout our lives and sacrificial love to others. So my prayer for us and for me and for you guys is this Christmas season, as we get through all of the, the craziness and it gets wild, there's a lot of parties, the madness, the busyness and everything, that we can always take a step back and ask the question, am I being humble like Christ? Am I willing to sacrifice just like Jesus did? And is my mind and my purpose in life the glory of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. God, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for all that it means. And it's easy to get, to get distracted in the fun and in the gifts and in the music and in the lights. But God, this morning we're reminded that that's not what it's about. That it is about you, Jesus. And not that you just came as a baby. As great as the story is, but you came as a baby for a purpose. You came as a baby humbly to sacrifice your life in obedience to God the Father for us that we may have a relationship with him. God, all of us know different family members. We know different friends. We know coworkers. We know classmates. We know people in our lives who do not know you the way that we know you. We know those who have never put their faith in you, Jesus. And we know a lot of those we'll see over this holidays. So in this moment, God, we think by name of those people. We think by name of our family members. We think by name of our friends. We think by name of classmates, coworkers. We pray that we would be a light to them through our humility, through our sacrificial love, through our, our words, through our actions. Give us the opportunity this holiday season share the beauty of the God-man Jesus who left his throne to come to earth to die for us and be exalted again. We pray that you would save lives and save hearts, save people over this Christmas season that are connected to us. And we're grateful for any opportunities you give us to be the ones share that good news. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.